Hello, legends. Welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today we catch up with Cub member Chris Cox, the co-founder of Leadlist. Leadlist is a company that can get you just that lists of leads. They also do digital marketing and are specialists in digital lead generation. Chris and I had a brilliant conversation spanning mostly the current business environment, including uh, challenges businesses are experiencing due to staff shortages, cultural changes, lockdowns, and, and, and all sorts of other things. It was a brilliant conversation. Enjoy the show. If I want to get a list of potential clients, I can give you a call and you can sort that out for me? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. It's a core part of what we do. Definitely. Is that the most important part of your business or? It's it's the main reason businesses contact us. Um, but, you know, they, they come to us and they think that they want a list of potential prospects. And, and sometimes that's the case. But at the end of the day, we kind of drill down to the reason why they want that. So it's about understanding what their needs are, you know, what they're after. Because sometimes businesses think it's just a box tick. Like, yeah, this is what I want. I've heard emails are good. So, yeah, I'll, I'll just do that. And then we dive in deeper and have a chat with them. And through that conversation, then we start to understand there's a bunch of other things that they're potentially not doing um, that they should prioritize first. Such so, as what? Well, it could be. Google ads, it could be uh, social ads. Oh, you, it's, it's typical digital marketing stuff. Is that, there could also be that their business might not necessarily be ready to mm-hmm. be able to start generating this kind of act. Like they, just think, they think that they want leads or more, more, you know, in, more prospects in the pipe. Um, but then once we start having a conversation and we start talking about their sales cycle and the, you know, how their business is structured and how they plan to engage – and then potential outcomes through those conversations, then they start thinking sometimes, ah, actually, I'm not sure if we're, we're ready for, this is definitely something we want to do. But now that you've really spoken to us about this, we think maybe it's a little bit too early and we need to kind of get our ducks in a row. Um, it could be that they need solutions that we don't even offer, um, but we just understand marketing and lead generation really, really well and are able to make those recommendations. And so you don't, you don't just provide um, lead lists, which is obviously the company name lead lists. You also provide digital marketing services. Um, that's correct. So we, so I guess the way I look at it is we kind of have an end to end solution in regards to you know, digital marketing and data. They, they really, um, I think complement each other really well. Um, and because naturally when you're talking to a business about purchasing a list, you're, you're talking to them, as I said earlier about, you know, solving a pain point right? It's like, you know, building that lead generation engine and figuring out which levers they need to pull on to, to get the prospects into the pipe. What I think of ourselves as is more around a marketing strategy company. So we, we're more about looking at the strategy about how to generate more business. And then a lot of the time it, that can be data, but then it can also be, you know, other forms of, of lead generation as well. Okay. So you make sure they get what the, the most important thing for them. But if I do want a list of potential clients, I can get that. Correct. That's right. That's how, our bread and butter. How does that work though? Because is it like, what are the legalities around, you know, getting a list? Am I allowed to email them now? Mm. Where do you actually get the list from? Like, yeah. you know, what, what, what's that process? So, so there's, there's two parts of data in terms of types of prospects. So you've got businesses that'll target businesses. So we are B2B. We don't deal with consumers um, for, from a, I guess, a business or sales perspective, much like probably yourself. Um, then you've got, you know, like your energy companies, solar companies, you know, property investment companies who do deal directly with consumers. And so the the laws are, are somewhat similar, but a little bit different for B2B and B2C. Um, and the information that you can obtain is a little bit different as well. So it, it, data is effectively aggregated from hundreds of different sources, um, particularly in the B2C space. You know, it can be things like online surveys, competitions, market research, things like that. And each each individual is validated against multiple sources before it's then able to be a, a marketable record. Um, B2B is a little bit different. Um, it just comes down to, I guess, the nature of how people engage um, and 
provide their details. So back to the legalities, as you mentioned, um, all data must be gathered with the permission of the individual. So um, from a B2C perspective, making sure that you've got opt-in is, is, is key, um, that they can be emailed or SMSed, um, that they have given permission for their data to be gathered. So that's really, really important. Um, and if a consumer says comes to you and says, well, I want to know exactly where you got my details, you need to be able to show exactly where that information was obtained. So on this day, at this time, this source is where you submitted information. So that kind of thing is, is, is extremely important. Um, for B2B, on the other hand, a little bit different um, in that, you know, you don't typically get business decision makers going on to surveys or competitions and putting in their business email and that kind of thing. So the way you gather that information is a little bit different. Um, some publicly available information, but typically phone-based calling, washing and updating information in that way as well. Yeah, people always care less about businesses. You know, <laughs> people always protected. Oh, you can't ma- you can't email them unless they're good. But the business, who gives a fuck? You can go do whatever you want. You know, it's, it's we like that. Yeah. Um, but so, for example, if I was like, "Hey, I want a list of a uh, thousand business owners mm. in Melbourne," yeah, can you do that, or would you have to give a list of a thousand businesses? Because technically, you wouldn't be allowed to give the business owners because they haven't you know, ticked for cub or whatever yeah. it was. Is that how, is that kind of how it works? So you've got the key information within our, our data, which is what I guess I would call a base record, which is the, a lot of the business information, but also some of the decision maker information. So, you know, the business name, address and phone number, that's basically publicly available information. You've got things like industry, classifications, revenue, employee size, um, and then decision maker name and job title, which again is not private or I guess, uh, confidential information in that regard. The next part of that, so that's like a base record. So if you just wanted that and you had a team ready to call up the company and say, Hey, can I speak to Daniel? Yeah, exactly. Right. That's fine. That information, you know, the, the only part where you you need to be mindful of, um, uh, I guess consent or opt-in is the email address. So we do have emails, um, and the opt-in is a little bit different with a consumer. You can get that direct opt-in through, you know, those surveys and competitions with a business have what's called inferred consent. So if their email address is in the public domain and what you're marketing to them about relates directly to their role within the business, it's reasonable to expect they would have an interest. So you have that inferred consent to be able to then send them an email. Oh, that's um, interesting. So just a little bit different, but you still, compliance is still very important. You're a business owner. Mm-hmm. I could pretty much assume that you want to meet other business owners. Therefore, I can email you. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> really? Yep, that's exactly how it works. It's oh, reasonable to expect they would have an interest in that, Yeah, which they do because they're most people in Carbo business owners. So of course they would have an interest. Um, and so, yeah, you can send them. On the other hand, if you went and sent them an email about like life insurance or solar <laughs> yeah. for their home, that's not really, you know, anything to do with their role. So that yeah. would be spam. Okay. So there's rules, but you can help us around them. You can help business owners yeah. understand how to actually use the data. Yeah. Cause you know what I love about data? I know I, I realized just jumped straight into what you do as a business, but what I like about data is that it's control. It's old school. Yeah. But it's controlled. Like with, I can tell you now with carbon, digital marketing has never been our, like what works for Cub. you know, mm. having like Facebook ads or LinkedIn ads or Google ads or that that's never worked for carbon. And I always hated it because, you know, you're, you're at the mercy of the social media gods, you know, mm. Zuckerberg decides to change his algorithm just, eh, Hey, I feel like it, you, you get screwed mm. and your, your, your marketing company can't even do anything about it because they, they have to just learn what's going on and then adjust and you know, that's good. Yeah. I always hated that mm. and it would fluctuate up and down. You, this month you get this many leads, next month you get different. But when you've got a list mm. right, and you're calling people, like the old school fashion, pick up the phone, get on the phone, email people, call people, mm. uh, so on, so on. Or, or like on LinkedIn, message people. This is a similar concept. You can yep. message X number of people a day. Yep. Um, uh, I, I always found that we had more control mm. over our own destiny and, and it always worked well for Cup. That's why I really like the concept of – of um of buying lead lists because yeah. you know you you can have someone sit there and call call all of them yeah just update them and I, I think with cub there's it's probably a little bit different to a lot of businesses in that um, it's a bit sexier people are like oh what's that yeah it's it's a bit it's it's you know I speak to a lot of hundreds of businesses every month and you know I there's not many that I've ever spoken to over the years that does what cub does I, I'd say there's probably none and there are other networking, networking groups and things like that, but nothing like Cub. Um, the other thing is, I guess, you know, you, you, there's a particular culture within Cub and 
you want to like a bit like within your own business with your own team, you want to protect that and you want to ensure that you maintain that culture. In my opinion, for our own business, that's as important as growing your business. Um, you know, I, I would rather scale back my business to to maintain the culture. You know, I would never sacrifice culture to just for the sake of profit or revenue, right? Um, so my point is though, with Carb, you, I think with LinkedIn and with data, you can be selective about who you're bringing into your pipe. It's not like you want to go on the Facebook and just get this out to everyone because not it's you might not necessarily want every business in here. And not every business will necessarily want to be in here because there's not always the right the right fit. Yeah. So you've got more control in that way. So to me, it makes perfect sense why yeah, those that's true. those ways would yeah. work. And you actually mentioned something really uh, uh, that I can relate to: sacrificing culture for profit. Mm. Now it is it's happened to me twice, and I I, I would argue it's probably happened to a lot of listeners um, uh, a few times where you know you've got someone in the business that you know they could be a great at sales or they could you know or they do bring in some sales but mm. but they're culturally they rot everything away and they destroy everything and you you put off you put off you know removing them or, mm. or because you're like nah but you know the, the, but what about the revenue that they're bringing in and then you know, it eventually gets to the point where they're actually damaging yeah everything and, and you just have to remove them. And then all of a sudden, once they're removed, the sales actually go way higher than when, yep. you know, it's, it's yep. so funny. Like yep. culture is far more important Absolutely. than profit. And when you have that culture, it brings you more profit anyway. It does. Yeah. They, they feed into each other yeah. um, and it makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, it's like, uh, I, I watch a lot of content from Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk. And uh, one of the things that really resonates with me, I heard him say was, uh, you know, hiring is guessing and firing is knowing. And, and, and the other thing he says is to hire slow, but fire quick and make sure you have, you have toxic people in your business that you get rid of them See as quick as you can. Yeah. Um, and that stuff, yeah, that, that really sticks with me. And I'm like, that makes a lot of sense to me too. Like definitely the moment I see anything messing with the environment we have with our team, I, I jump on it right away. There's, I just don't want to damage that at all. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things that I thought was quite interesting with what you do is that you wash lists. And now I don't know exactly what that means, but what I took from it was that like, for example, Cub has a huge database of tens of thousands of business owners that we've mm. uh, accumulated over the years of people reaching out and all that type of stuff, all yep. the members. But you don't know, businesses close, uh, people change things, but you know, the, the list isn't clean. Mm. And I'm assuming that's what Washing lists means it means yeah. check updating your list. So like a company could come to you, and be like, "Hey, here's uh, two thousand people. Can you just give us back with the ones that actually are still relevant?" Yeah, yeah, correct. That's a part of it. Um, it's funny we talk to a lot of businesses about getting you know fresh lists, and then when we start talking about data washing, a lot of the time they don't even realise that that's something that they can be helped with. Yeah, and, I didn't and, know until I read it. Yeah, and often what ends up happening is we end up having longer conversations about that part because it's such a big pain point. Um, there are other data companies out there, but not as many are focused on that data washing component. Um, and that's something that we do focus heavily on uh, because, you know, that's great. Go and get a thousand, you know, people who you've never spoken to before and reach out to them. Excellent. Amazing. But what about those 10,000? There'd be nuggets of gold in there for sure. And there's already brand recognition and a relationship plus market intelligence that's built up on that. So to be able to take that data and then bring that back to life to allow a sales team to be able to re-engage um, or even just know where to focus and prioritize can be extremely valuable. Yeah. And so. it's, it's already data you've already paid for. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's what's cool about it. That's right. And so there's there's two parts to it. There's one is what you mentioned there, updating your data. Um, so matching it against what we have, validating, yep, we've got the same information as far as we can see, that's correct. Um, updating information, hey, look, you know, we, you have this, but we have this. So this could be the new person, the new phone number, whatever it is. Um, and enrichment. So, hey, yes, you've got the business info. You don't have company size. You don't have industry classifications or X, Y, or Z. So being able to then add additional information to the data. Um, and then you've got what I call data standardization. So um, businesses have issues with their data where they've got multiple entry points into their CRM from web forms, you know, salespeople, account managers, constantly adding information in and everyone kind of enters in things differently, Different. right? Some people don't put the area code. Some people put plus six one. Some people put the first and last name in the first name column. What ends up happening then is you have duplicate entries and potentially your sales team missing intelligence split across multiple records. Um, and then from a reporting and forecasting perspective, you start missing information, it becomes hard to manage. So we can also help clean the data up in that way to solve a lot of those pain points as well. And so where are you from? What's your story? 
So uh, I grew up in Sydney, born and raised in Sydney. Oh, you born um, in Sydney? Yeah, yeah. So why did you move to Melbourne? Well, I uh, I did some travelling, and I went to South America when I, I think I was about twenty six, twenty seven. And it was the the first time I ever gone overseas. I had some mates that went to Europe, and I wanted to go with them, but it just timing didn't work out. And so I was a little bit disappointed. And I'm like, "That's it. I'm planning a trip. I'm just going to go by myself. I don't care." So I went to South America for about four weeks, and I, it was the just the best thing I ever did. And I was, spent some time in Argentina, and I was like, "Right." I came back, and I'm like, "I'm moving to Melbourne because I love Melbourne," or I'm moving to Buenos Aires. And I'm like, "It's one of the two. Um, at least I can speak English in Melbourne, and it's closer to family." So I decided to move down down to Melbourne and, and come down this way. So yeah, I just, I, I've always loved Melbourne, and I feel like because I'm from Sydney, when I say Melbourne's the best city in the world and by far superior to Sydney from a, from a place to live, I feel like I'm not biased because I've, you know, I've kind of, I'm, I'm from- And from why do you think it's better? Uh, I, you just, the part of it's, I find the people- the you you have by far the best politicians, I'd say. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, look, I find uh, that- People in Melbourne, when I moved here, I, this is the big thing that stood out. People just seemed friendlier, just a bit more, I don't know, everyone was a bit more relaxed and easygoing and I love that. Um, and then it was just, there's so much more to do. I mean, Sydney, you got the beaches and that, I miss that. Um, it's kind of, you know, you got the bay in Melbourne, but it's just not, there's not, they're not beaches. Um, so that's the thing I miss. But other than that, um, like I just found everything in Melbourne. There's so much more to do and I just loved it. It was just, yeah. So I, I, I would, It is a special city. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. a little slice of like- Europe in Australia. It's as close as you get yeah. into it. You know, like yeah. it's got that. Uh, what I love about Melbourne is that you can go in the city and you've got your young 18 year olds running around causing a muck, but you also have your sophisticated 60 yeah. year old couple out on the town having yeah. a drink. You know, it's it's just a real combination of everyone all, all, all together and enjoying yeah. a, a real city yeah. experience, you know. But in Sydney, the thing that I find is that everyone sticks to their own little areas, right? So if you're from the Western suburbs, and you go to like the North Shore or the city and just run into anyone or where are you from? First thing, where are you from? Oh, at well, West or, or North or, you know, it's all, it's very. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's full split. <laughs> yeah. But, and, and, and people from the West will go out in the West or in the city. They're not, they don't generally go out North Shore or, you know, so whereas in Melbourne, you get people from all over that will go, they go everywhere. So people aren't really segregated like that. They kind of mix, mix around a bit more. And yeah, no, I fully I, agree. Our like strategy, so our, our, our strategy between the two cities is very different as a company because of that. For example, in Melbourne, our plan is to have one big club that everyone travels to. Yep. In Sydney, we need to have four clubs. Yeah. We're having a South, we're having a North, we're having an East, we're having a, we're having five actually, a CBD, and we're having a, a Parramatta or a, a West. Yep. So you, you, they are like separate little yeah. states that you need, yeah. to, you need to conquer. You exactly, know? that's it, yeah. And I guess, you know, the good thing about Sydney is you've got a, it's a bigger market, so you can, you can probably, you know, and there are those hubs, you've got Parramatta. Yeah. You know, you there's more have, money. Yeah. There's more, there's more business and there's more money. Yeah, exactly. Statistically, if you're going to do business, it's easier to do it. And I think we saw that in the most recent lockdowns. Melbourne went into lockdown for how long? I can't remember, three months, whatever it was. And I didn't really notice much of a change, that much of a change in business really. There was a, the initial beginning That's of the pandemic. Yeah. Like, the, like, and I, I feel like with where we're placed, we, we kind of, um, we tend to see trends very, a little bit earlier on than other businesses because when people stop looking for data, that's at the beginning of the sales process, right? So if that slows down, then- Everything you, else is about to fall over. Yeah, you will see it like slowing down in, or maybe it's just changing, but you know, I, I find that tends to be the case. And uh, so I agree. in the pandemic, at the beginning, we saw almost Christmas level drop. I think it was around March. And then it just rebounded straight back. And it was so, so it was a bit of uncertainty for about a month. And then I think everyone realized that they can't just sit on their hands forever. They still need to run a business. And then things picked up again and we were, and we were okay. And everyone was okay. Well, not everyone, but a lot of people were okay. Um, then, Especially if they had already survived the first yeah, kind yeah. of lockdown. Well, well, then, well, then we went into our three-month lockdown and, and we didn't see much change. It was just changing in the way people did things. But the amount of pivoting I saw from businesses was amazing. And then the most recent lockdowns, Melbourne went into lockdown, but of course Sydney was going into lockdowns first. When Sydney started going into lockdowns, stopped that, in Melbourne. that was, yeah. I saw a big change. We saw change. that too. Yeah. Melbourne was like, oh shit, if they're going to lockdown and we're the ones that go into lockdown, then we're, we're definitely <laughs> yeah. going to lockdown. We better start yeah. preparing now yeah. and start saving. It, it, it was, it was, there was some change. Definitely felt it more when Sydney yeah. locked down. And, and I think that's because there's, as you say, so much more business. Well, that's what's Sydney. funny about Sydney. Sydney is definitely Australia in terms of like, 
Whatever Sydney's do, if Sydney's closed, the government's freaking federal government's yeah. freaking everyone. If yeah. Sydney's up, I fuck the rest. Like <laughs> you keep going, Perth, you're splitting off to yourself, but we don't really care. Yeah. There's no one there anyway. It's too far to get there. I'd rather go somewhere else anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know, like Sydney really is the um, yeah the economic center of yeah, of and also because Absolutely. it's pretty. Mm. Because it's beautiful, it's like the popular kid at school, you know. Like when people think of, oh, you know, you go to that high. School. I'm just basing this knowledge <laughs> off like American TV shows, but like, you know, oh, do you, do you know this guy at this high school, or this girl at there, yeah, the pretty one. Yeah, the, you know, yeah. the, the people know him. Like, so when people think of Australia, they picture the Harbour Bridge and they picture the Opera House. Yeah. So you know, if Australia's in lock, if Sydney's in lockdown, there's all of a sudden there's these pictures, iconic pictures ever around the world of people can relate to. Oh yeah, yeah. that's Australia. You know, they're yeah. they're in lockdown. Whereas if other states are in lockdown, there's pictures of Sydney out of lockdown. They're like, oh no, Australia's all right. Yeah, yeah. And most and a lot of people that don't know Australia well, they think Sydney is the capital. Mm. Like they think. And it yeah. I actually thought it wasn't is. until about a year ago. <laughs> yeah, I was Canberra. What the fuck? What is that? Yeah, but it's actually funny because I mean I, I'm. I'm sure all the listeners know this. It's not very sick. It's not very uncommon knowledge, but it's Canberra because they couldn't choose between Melbourne and Sydney. Yeah. They, one would get upset with the other. So like, you know, screw both of you. We're going, we're going halfway, in the isn't it? Yeah. 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 yeah we're yeah. going in the middle. Yeah. And actually I found out the other day that, um, so when like people first started migrating to Australia, mm. Sydney was the convict state. So New South Wales was where they'd set, send all the, the convicts or the yeah. criminals and things. Yeah, right. And if you were migrating mm-hmm. um, and you weren't a convict, you were coming to Melbourne. Oh, okay. And so a lot of like a lot of old wealth in Australia is 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 in Victoria because yeah, a lot right. of the first people to come in, buy land, start business, do job, they 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 actually they were coming to Melbourne, not Sydney. Sydney was the, I'm not a criminal. I'm not yeah, because they were all colonies. They were all separate. We yeah. weren't a federation by then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a, they're, amazing. they're definitely two um, amazing states. But um, um, but business is definitely different. But oh, yeah. Two. Yeah, definitely. And so um, what made you start business? Did you, uh, you always wanted to be in business or you just kind of? I think, I think for business people, I think you've always got that. I think it's something you're just born with. I, th- I feel like, um, you know, I uh, I was when I remember I was working in the banking sector in Sydney, and I, you know, I've, I've always really been into um, into hip hop and R and B, and so I was like twenty, oh, I don't know, would have been twenty four, twenty five. Not not that long before I went overseas, and a mate, me and a mate, were sitting there talking about New Year's, and we were talking about. Um, you know, there was nowhere really cool that does hip hop and R and B. It's all, you know, like what are they? What was it? What's the what's the big events on New Year's Day? I don't know if they do it anymore. New Year's Day, it was um, Field Day, and you know, all those. Yeah, all Laura those. probably would know. She, uh, she's, <laughs> I can see her face. No, you're like, I like hip hop, and she's like, yeah, she's sitting nodding. But uh, yeah, so we couldn't find anything with that kind of music that we liked on New Year's, and I'm like, well, why don't we just throw one? And then my mate's like, all right, so we just put one on, and um, my sister was was a manager at a bar, the Rose Hotel in Chippendale. And so we, we booked out um, that area. We've got some you know, DJ Samurai and um, a couple of others, Moto. And uh, yeah, we booked it out, put it on and it was awesome. And we had a great time. And so then um, I said, well, why don't we do it again? So we did. And so we did a few of these. And um, and then I kind of got out of it. It didn't really pan out. Um, but And then that's when I kind of went overseas and then decided to move down to Melbourne. So that was my first experience at getting into, I, I guess, I mean, for me at the time, I was only thinking about the events, but really what I was starting to do was build a business. And that was my first experience. You're creating something. Yeah. Um, and then I came, when I moved to Melbourne, I was like, right, well, I, I kind of want to figure out what I want to do. And so then I said, well, I, want, I need a job where I can earn more money and work less. All right, so what's that? And I'm like... Well, I do love hip hop, so I'm moving to Melbourne. I'm, I'll be a DJ. So I just came down and I did that. I did that for a while, and um, that was fun. That was amazing. I loved it. It was best. Like I couldn't keep doing it, but it's I would have died. <laughs> that night, that nightlife just kills you. Um, but, it takes your soul. I'd yeah, imagine. and like like a Tuesday night, and you're like, someone's like, "Hey, this is on. Come out," and you're like. Oh. Well, I don't want to, but I have to because I'm going to make more connections and I'm going to get more work out of this. So you kind of have to go out and yeah. So I got out of that. I kind of fell into digital marketing and lead generation. Um, and at the time while I was DJing, a good mate of mine, um, he's been running for the last 12 years, a, a web designer, James, web design and uh, branding agency. And so he was already in the marketing space. And then um, I James, was- James, your business partner. Yeah, correct. Yeah, for the listeners. Yeah. And um, so he, he's been running that for like 12 years or so. And at the time, uh, I 
I was kind of looking to get out of DJing and a mate of mine said, Hey, there's a, I got a friend that works at a, a place that they're, they're looking for people. Do you want to go and work there? And I was like, okay. So I started, went for an interview and started working and I've always done phone sales. Like since I was 17, like roof restoration, telemarketer, that was my first job. And I've always done that stuff. So I've got like 20 years or so experience in sales. So I went to this, I went to this job and there was a bunch of people sitting in the room and, and they all kind of pitched to sort of get this job. And the guy that's interviewing them all, I can see him, they go in another room, they call in to pitch and he's just like, like this, just like that. And then he's like, all right, Chris, do you want to have a go? And I'm like, yeah. So I go in and I just smash it. And then I, he's like, he's like, just stop, just come back in. That's good. Yeah, you, you're done. So that was my first kind of like, you know, and that, that's how I got into B2B sales. And then I, uh, I started working there. I worked there for what, that company for uh, agency for about six or seven years. And I've got a lot of experience around B2B sales and around lead generation and digital marketing. And for me, I loved it. And I was hooked as soon as I, and then from that, uh, James and I, obviously being good mates, him in the same space, we saw an opportunity to get into the data space. We saw it as being uh, probably underserved, um, you know, in a number of ways. Um, Yeah, because it became unsexy. mm. It became old school to call people and to have lead lists and Mm. like it it was then, oh, you know, it's all about the funnel and having people come to you and, you know, it's, it's, yeah, but what about how I just call them? Yeah. (laughs) Fuck the funnel. Yeah. hundred percent. Nothing beats a phone call. Yeah. Picking up the phone, calling through. The thing that puts people off is that you've got gatekeepers and they get like, they get someone who like, just when they say, Hey, can you put, who's in charge of this? Oh, Johnny. Yeah. Put me through. And that. Oh, okay. And then they don't want to do it. Like if that fear of rejection, I guess. But you get a good process. Like we've, we've done it. We, we actually work with a member. You, I just realized you should totally meet because it'd be a great partnership between the two of you. But he's got a fantastic, uh, like lead calling basically business. Okay. And because Cub has huge databases. Mm. So we, we have them, they, they all, they, they're not selling. All they're doing is calling people. Hey, listen, uh, you know, we've just launched this new clubhouse and the app's launched now. You know, we wanted to invite you in just to, to, to brief you on it. Yep. Um, oh, you know, David's not here. With the, with the, those are weird receptionists. But can you send something through? And, you know, we've got a process. Like, yeah. okay, we send through the, the you know, some nice looking info. We call back the next day. Yep. Yeah, it's David, check the info. Yeah, David's on. He wants to have a call. But like you, if you create a process mm. – like a like a funnel, yeah. but over the phone mm-hmm. and with emails, it's the same concept. Yeah. Like, you know, if someone sees an ad on Facebook one time, they might not click it. But if they see it several times or they mm. see it at the right time, then they might. It's the same thing with the phone. It's just you actually have to do it yourself. Yeah. And I think it can be just as effective, if not more. Yeah. And so it's really the same concept. You're just creating a phone funnel. Yeah. No, exactly. And look, in my mind, I'd, I'd – I tell businesses this all the time in a perfect world, if budgets permit, you you don't just do calling. You don't just do LinkedIn. You don't just do email or SEO. You do all of it because as you pointed out earlier, I mean, as we've seen in the last, what, 12 months or whatever it was, Facebook or Google at any moment can just decide that they don't like what a government's doing and Hey, guess what? We're out. Right. And I, I I think that's, I don't think it's a very smart strategy, but they could do that. Um, So if you're reliant on Facebook or if you're reliant on SEO or whatever it is, um, and then that funnel dries up, what do you do? Your business is you're exposed. Yeah, you're not reliant on you. You got to rely on yourself. Have have ownership over your. And yeah. if you're gonna have ownership over anything, it's got to be your growth, your, oh, your, yeah. your sales, your 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 new income. Like, exactly. Yeah. I actually, read also in in uh, your prep sheet uh, something I related to and similar to this topic, which is. If you only have, for example, one salesperson, mm. you know, and your whole business is relying on this one person to sell, yeah, that dude might get hit by a bus. Yep, like you know, they might leave you. They might, they might go on a holiday yeah. for a month. Yep, well, for a whole month, you're not going to get sales because they decide to go on a holiday. Like, it's all about as, and I think people go into business because they don't want to be reliant on others. They want to, they want to own their their kind of destiny, even yeah. if it's harder work. They, yeah. they prefer own it, and you know, you can't have. You can't rely just on Facebook. Mm. You can't rely just on one salesperson. Yep. You have to build um, enough layers or bring enough control to yourself that you can choose to turn one of them off and it won't affect you. Yeah. It's also about, um, you know, having having different 
as I mentioned earlier, different levers that you can pull on. One, so you're not overly reliant. You're not you, you, you're diversifying your risk from a lead gen perspective or, or marketing perspective. But it's also because it's about understanding what the cost of each different form of lead gen is, what the conversion rate is on those, and then being able to pivot at any moment. I mean, we were about to hit Christmas and – to me, it's seeming like most businesses, or a lot of them anyway, aren't slowing down. So it's going to be a bit of a different Christmas, I think, from what I'm seeing. Um, but if you look at a normal December period, you know, two to three weeks, you know, sort of flowing on into January, businesses, a lot of businesses are sort of ramped down. That's really interesting. It's because they're trying to make up for lost time. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. That's it. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of businesses are not slowing down. And they're going right up to the 24th, coming back on the 4th of Jan. So it's literally one week and that's it. And I mean, that week you've got a couple of public holidays anyway. So they're taking three days really of, of days off and they just they just keep going. Yeah. Um, and a lot of businesses I'm talking to that are in the, you know, marketing or, or lead gen space that do other things that we don't do, they're all saying that they're completely booked out for December. They're, no one's stopping. Um, it's, yeah, it seems like some businesses will slow down. Real, we do a lot of work in the real estate space. They always slow down, you know, mid-December. But other than that, I think a lot will continue on. Well, I agree. It depends on the business. But I think yeah. that's also great news that that they are pushing the whole year because they, they got robbed. They got yeah. – they, they, they got someone stole their time. Yeah. But not their costs. Yeah. God forbid they stole their costs, you know. <laughs> yeah. still, if you're going to steal time, at least take the cost of that time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, freaks. Um, <laughs> but – but so they need to make up for that time, yeah. Which is also very unfair because they have to work in a time where they want to be relaxing. Yeah, you know, like we've actually done, we've done the opposite thing. So we've taken a longer break mm. to end the year mm-hmm. because, um, I mean, Cub was relatively uh, good through through COVID, um, but we worked so hard to make sure as a as a team, we every single one of us worked so hard. That it's the end of the year and I can see everyone's burning out. Like yeah. the whole team's tired yeah. because we've we've pushed it so hard over a two-year period yep. that I'm like, you know what? We need like a good month just mm. to do nothing, go have a break, enjoy yourself, go yep. back to your families, wherever they are. Do, yeah. You know, like I, I think people need a break and there might be a problem with people burning out over, you know, they might burn out. Uh, starting next year because mm. they didn't have that break. Yeah. So it's a, but but again, if I was them, I wouldn't. I would do it anyway because you want the revenue. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's also I mean, some of the businesses I'm talking to are talking about having that, like they're forcing people, their I guess subordinates to take leave, whereas the senior people are still around because they've just built up so much annual leave. Oh so yeah, that's a, to, and also it. everyone's going to want to go on a holiday. So you don't want yeah. everyone to have too much leave because yeah. all of a sudden they're all going to disappear and you're you've gone two years of bad business because yep. of COVID. And then all of a sudden the next two years, everyone's going on holidays. All your salespeople going on holidays, your service people going on holidays. So now you've had four years as a business where one year you're stuck with everyone. The second year, they all left you for, <laughs> yeah. for a holiday. So yeah. Yeah, you got to burn some of that. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So there, there's that, there's that part as well. But um, there's so much to look out for, isn't there? It's just like, what is going to like, you know, you really like, what's, what am I going to find behind this bush? Yeah. 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 I, I know I, I wish COVID didn't happen for obvious reasons and I, and I wish it didn't happen because of the pain that businesses have felt during it, the ones that have really done it tough, right? And, and the people that suffered health-wise, of exactly, course. Yeah, that, that, that goes exactly. without saying. No, no, of yeah. course, yeah. Um, but at the same time, I have – I've enjoyed seeing business during COVID, how, like how businesses have changed. How resilient it is. Yeah, and how yeah. people – like I know people that have like – done jobs for like 10 years, been in the same role and then COVID came and they just went and started the business during COVID. And it's amazing. And I'm like, it's incredible. There's been a 97% increase in the number of part-time businesses in really? the past, in the past 10 years, but yeah. still that's a lot. Yeah. 97% increase. There's only been a 9% increase in businesses as a whole. Yeah. So that means there's a lot of people saying, you know what? Business is looking pretty good. Yep. I, I'm sick of being told what to do or having to rock up to my corporate thing. Yep. I might start something on the side and see what happens there, which is really yeah. how all businesses start. Like, yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to play around this section here and see, oh, I've got a client. Okay, this is probably I'm addicted to it. I like this. I'm going to keep going. And eventually they've got enough revenue where they're like, I'm confident enough to leave my job. And yep. so, I'm, you know, the hope is that that 97% increase of part-time businesses well, you hope a lot of them do well and convert to full time. Yeah, and and bang, you've got a 
a better Australian economy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the, the funny thing is I also see it as opportunity. Um, Target in the US, I remember reading an article about this. They, they just watch people in their store and, and, and they look at, you know, they, they really monitor people within, within their environments to see what they're doing. And I read a story about a, a girl who, um, they're so good at, at being able to understand what, what people are looking at and what that means in their life that they sent out some, they started sending out marketing correspondence to like a, I think it was like a 17 or 18 year old girl for baby things. She was pregnant. And she was pregnant and the dad didn't know. And, but they knew based on what she was looking at. And the reason they start marketing to people when they have a baby is because you might go and buy the same razors and the same soap and the same shampoo and everything the same. And you have your routine and you just buy the same things. But when you have a baby, there's disruption in your life and things are changing. So you're more open to changing on other things as well. Particularly the first baby, because you, you haven't, you have like with other brands, you're, ah, I'm loyal to Apple. We're going to go buy a computer by Apple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you haven't had a baby yet, you're not loyal to any of the baby yeah. brands. So, yeah. you know, okay, but this is the first brand I'm going to go for. And then you end, you'll probably end up staying with it. Yeah. And so if, you, if you're, so disruption and forcing people to change for whatever life circumstances means that they're more open to change than they normally would be. And Target know that and they, they apply their marketing accordingly. So if you think about COVID and the amount of disruption, people buying stuff on my, online more, which was going to happen anyway. It was happening in the US. It's going to we're, we're a bit behind with the US, but it was going to happen here. Working from home, that was always going to happen, 10 years, 20 years time, but it was always going to happen. But these kind of changes happening mean that people are disrupted and so they're more open to change. And so it's a good time to be approaching people, whether it's B2B or B2C, in my opinion anyway. No, I agree. And, and you're seeing that across everything. Like um, all the HR companies at Cub are talking about this big resignation thing going on. And yep. and it, it's interesting because there's some businesses who do suffer, like even the labor shortage. Mm. You know what I mean? Like there's, you got to remember that your business is different to other businesses. For example, at Cub, well, we're not experiencing a labor shortage and we're also not experiencing a resignation of any sort. Mm. But then- you know, I just spoke to to other business owners. I had dinner with a group of members last night and you hear, oh, this person can't get, the people are leaving. They're trying to offer people more money. They can't get them. The other one can't even find staff. They, mm. you know, how are they serving people? And so the different, like, um, the effects on different businesses from everything. Is so disruption, I mean, the world's changing mm. to the point even where people are just leaving their jobs. Like yeah. it's, it's yeah. you know, it's just this disruption in all on, on all matters. Yeah. Well, they're more open to change. And so that thing that's been sitting in the back of their mind for so long, because like, perhaps I, they've gotten used to disruption now. Yeah. They've been disrupted for two years. I try to fucking like go to sleep. I have to get out of my house. There's an earthquake, you know, <laughs> I got to go back into the house now. And it's just all these disruptions. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, look, people leaving their job, I think there's a fear of change sometimes because people get comfortable, even though they don't like the job they're in, they're comfortable and the idea of changing and doing something different, they're just like, that's like, no, no, I want to do that. But now, because they've or, they're already being forced to change, that's why I think they're like, well, I'm just going to do it. Less fearful. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and also, people tend to just do what other people are doing. Mm. So, for example, like, oh, if Laura just left right now, I might be like, oh, Laura just left. I, maybe I should leave too. Yeah. Like, you know, and it just trickles down. Then Daniel leaves and oh, Holly's like, wait a second. Yep. Yeah, Laura and Daniel left. Maybe yeah. I should. You know, like, it, and 100%. That would just amplify. Yeah. I agree. But, um, but, and, and think about that, you know, the stress that that puts on, on businesses, like mm. these government policies, they have a, a like, I, I just don't think anyone thinks about it. Like, for example, we aren't taking in, I, I think Australia brings in 250,000, um, migrants. Skilled, yeah, skilled, skilled migrants. Labor, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, they bring in, we were bringing in 250,000 people a year. We haven't brought in any in the past two years. Mm. And that's having a huge impact on the restaurants now. But didn't the fucking moron who decided, okay, we're not bringing anyone in, think, okay, how is this going to affect, mm. you know, Australia, particularly the businesses who are mm. already screwed because they're not even allowed to trade. Yep. You know, when we get out of this, what are they going to do? You know, no, it's like, it's as if they don't think about the ramification of, yeah. of changes to the country. Oh yeah. And the most, the most recent lockdown, as soon as we opened up, my, uh, bunch of local restaurants near me and one of them I went past and I'm like, oh, you guys are open now. So can we come in and have breakfast? They're like, no, nah, we can't open. We haven't got the staff. <laughs> so that they were, we were open. They you couldn't open. Because it's so sad. Yeah. I'm just like, that's yeah. crazy. And, like, And then the people that are here, 
Mm. So like Laura, she's German. Laura um, um, needed a, a sponsorship from Carb. We've been working to get a sponsorship for years and years. And yeah, and it's so hard to get the sponsorship. You can't get sponsorship. And the country's fucking empty. Yeah. You haven't even let him pe- at least give us the ones that we have. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let them work more than 20 hours. You know, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, at least give us what we've got. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. You would have thought, it just to me, it would make a lot of sense to, yeah, the people that are here, okay, great, we've just lost how many hundreds of thousands of people? 500. Well, yeah, so so now, okay, well, let's, the ones that are here, yeah, let, let's, let's let them work full time. Pro- we'll create a process to speed them up. Oh, great. Well, we've got our birth rate is going backwards. So you're like in particularly, I just read about uh, in parts of Melbourne, um, it's the average woman's having 0.91 children. So it's not even enough, like not only you're not, not replacing mum and dad, you're not even replacing mum. And so, you know, the, our birth rate is going down, our fertility is going down. So we need immigration. I mean, this country is founded on immigration. So the people that are here, fast track them to, to permanent residency. They're here, they're stuck around, they're working, they're contributing to the recovery. So get, just fast track them. And, and migrants always, always mig- migrant countries are always the most business countries. They have yeah. the most entrepreneurship because, oh, yeah. because migrants find it hard to, to get high paying jobs. Mm-hmm. So they start business. Mm-hmm. Also migrants are willing to do work that other people aren't willing to do that. The nationals aren't willing to do, yep. you know, and, and so they, they do these fundamental things in society that, that are valuable and they end up bringing in that income. They start businesses, they hire people, they hire yep. other migrants, they give them jobs, they give them ability to assimilate to the society and culture. Like yep. Australia is just one big migration. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Let us have them. <laughs> and if we don't, if we don't continue with immigration, we're just going to see our population decline because the birth rate does not support. And the we end up in growth. the China situation that when they had the one child problem. And oh yeah. Then that the generation couldn't pay for the yeah the the, the, the aging population. And yeah. It's all sorts of weird shit happening. Well, that's that's already, cool that's already a problem for us, but it's uh, it'll be even worse if we don't grow our population. Yeah. See Definitely. how cool would it be to just run a country? It's not that politicians are bad or the people are bad. That's, that's not the problem. It's that I think that the system is set up I- incorrectly. Yeah. It's set up to, to attract perhaps the wrong people. Yeah. You know, it, to, to attract, I hate to call people lazy, but not lazy, just relaxed lifestyle. Mm. You know, like, it, whereas imagine if you put someone in power that actually wanted to get things done, really wanted to think about problems, had the time to do it, could assemble a team themselves mm. of whom they could push things through, they could make things happen, they were accountable for longer than four years or whatever it is. Mm. You can only do you can do eight years maximum. Is that correct? No, that's the presidency that's the in the US. What's, so what's, pri- what's uh, prime minister? As long as as long as you can stay in. Is that right? Yeah, oh, yeah, prime minister <laughs> shows how you much ha- I know. You about have politics. to get. You have to. So you got like like John Howard, who was was in power for I don't know what three or four. Times. He was great. He was a great prime minister. Then you've got um, who was before him, uh, like uh, Hawke and um, Keating, Keating, who back to back they were in power for quite quite a while. How before long, so that you too. can stay as prime minister for as long as you want. As long as you keep getting voted, your party keeps. So there's two components to it. As long as your party keeps getting voted in as a majority in the lower house, um, and as well as long as your your party vote you in as the leader. So, so you're saying if I became prime minister, I could be prime minister for 50 years. Yeah. But you don't, so when you vote, you're not, vote, unless you're in the seat that the prime minister is, current prime minister is in, so Scott Morrison, unless you live in his seat, you're not voting for him. You're voting for whoever represents the party in, in your, your region. Seat. Yeah. And then your if council. the majority of the party gets voted in, they become, so if Labor, for example, control the majority in the lower house, then they become the, the, the government the, yep. and whoever heads that party is the prime minister. Tell me, why did you never get in politics then? Cause you, you, you're very knowledgeable. I just talk a lot of smack on this thing about politics, but you actually know what you're talking about. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I follow a lot of news in the U S and a number of different like online news stations that sort of focus heavily on politics in the U S. And so I find that quite interesting. And the way I think about it is everything these days is, is, uh, you know, everything's linked, right? What happens in one country doesn't just happen in that country. Like COVID is an obvious example of that, but that spreads everywhere. I'm talking about, um, you know, what happens with Trump and China has potentially an impact on us because of the alliance we have with the US. So, you know, what happens with Turkey and, you know, Russia can have an impact on things. So all of these things can be can, can be linked and can have impacts on what happens here in Australia. It, so that's why I follow it. But even ideologies, mm. I would argue ideologies, uh, uh, 
spread faster than COVID. Yeah. You know, social media has a lot more reach than COVID does. You know, everybody's got, everyone's looking at a screen. Everybody, you know, everyone can be sent different yep. ideologies and sent storylines and narratives that, that just further play to their belief system yep. until all of a sudden everyone just hates each other. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, different social media platforms can just decide. Mm. You know, it, yeah. it's based on algorithms, you know. It's, it's that... That is what causes, in my, what I believe causes the most impact from from overseas. It's, yeah. it's, it's media. Yeah, th- those echo chambers where you just get fed back the same thing in a loop over and over again, reinforcing what you already believe. Um, as a, you know, I think that algorithm, I think, needs to be tweaked to allow people to, to for that echo chamber to be penetrated, so people can actually start to, you know, because if someone disagrees with me, I love it. Because I'm like, cool, prove me wrong. Tell, I, I want to be like, tell me. I'll, I'm open-minded. I'll, I'll listen. And if you're right and I agree, you know, I'm happy to say, you know what? That's so true. Like I've never thought about that. Yeah. That happens to me a lot in this podcast. I'll be like, well, you know what? That is like, I changed my mind. Yeah. But, yeah. but online, you can't do that. Like yeah. you can't actually sit with someone and have a just proper discussion. It's just like these one-sentence bites at each other yeah. that kind of go nowhere and then – no one ever changes their mind. Yeah. You don't even know if you trust the information. Yeah. You know, you're like, this is probably fake anyway. And whatever, you know, narrative is in your head mm. is either going to make you disagree or agree with the, with whichever storyline or whatever the argument is you're in. Like, yeah. sometimes you just need to have people sit down like we are and just bang out a nice natural conversation and licking it back to lead lists. Mm. Sometimes the old school way is the, is the way. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> like, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And tell me, so what's the um, uh, how, how long have you had the business for? Uh, about uh, about three years. We we'd, we'd had it in a different. We were kind of focusing more on the digital marketing initially, um, and so it was in a sort of different structure. But the lead list, that brand, and the way it's structured now, yeah, for that last three years. And how's it going? What are the plan? What's your strategy? How how, how do you? What's your strategy towards standing out in your market? Yeah. So the things that the reason why we really focus so heavily on data is because we were noticing that it was difficult for businesses to f- first of all find reputable companies to deal with in that space um, in terms of the quality of what they were purchasing you know you can say that about any form of marketing really any kind of lead generation digital marketing you know you, you're kind of sifting through to find that you know to find the nuggets of gold um, so that was there was elements of that but it was also just the way that businesses were being serviced um, you know, I mentioned earlier, we're not transactional, whereas for a lot of data companies, they are. They're just order takers. Hey, what do you want? You want this? Yeah, we've got it. Great. It's this much. Okay, see you later. Um, so it, it, they're not really diving in deeper to understand what a business really needs. They're just trying to flog products. Um, and that's not what we're about. Um, the quality part was it was also quite big just because there, there are a lot of companies out there that they either don't ensure that they I guess they tick those compliance boxes. Um, they don't bother to update their data. They put together a list and it's okay. And then over, they just don't update it. And over 12 months, it just, it's just crap. And then they flog it and try and move on and find something else they can sell. So it's not kind of what we're about. We're always focusing on quality. It's the most important thing. Um, how does one provide a better quality lead list or better quality service in that industry? You need to have, deeper insights on prospects in terms of the information that's available, how you can segment that and the information that's available to be able to do that, to really narrow down, because it doesn't matter how good my data is. If I've got, you know, data that's a hundred percent accurate, which you will never get data that's hundred percent accurate. But if I've got data that's a hundred percent accurate, but it's just completely the wrong segment for what you're looking to do, you're going to speak to people or engage with them and they're going to be disconnect because it's just not relevant for them. So the targeting is really, really important. And that ties into not being a transactional company, understanding what this, what a client's sales cycle looks like, their prospects, what they're trying to achieve, what is the outcome, where they're trying to get to. Because then from there, we can make recommendations on the best way to be able to narrow down and find those ideal prospects. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, it's just about, you know, really making sure we understand that to give them the best list. But then the quality part is also important. Um you know, to be able to make sure the data is actually up to date. So over over time, data will deteriorate at about 8% a year. So you've got 10,000 records in your database. I'm assuming that's what, three, four, five, six, however many years old. Um, over time, 
every year on average, that'll deteriorate by about 8%. Okay. That's not too bad of a deal. Oh, I guess after 10 years, it's gone. Man, that's pretty fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Okay. Um, and so, so every year you should have a bit, you know, wash your data. Yeah, exactly. Give correct. it a little spray and wipe. Awesome. And, um, uh, Laura's wrapping at me to wrap it up. So we're going to get to the, um, to the, to the end, but, um, do you want to share perhaps, um, a favorite book? Are you a reader? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't have time as much as I used to. I try to make time. Um, how do you normally consume knowledge or, or try to I guess, I, personal development? Yeah, look, I, uh, I generally look at stuff on YouTube. So I listen to a lot of Gary V. Um, there's a guy, Australian guy, Kerwin Ray, who has some really good content, um, what do you like about them? Because we've got our head of Sydney CBD, Calvin. He loves Gary V. I've never liked him. I, I don't know, but I've never actually listened to him. So that's probably why I don't like <laughs> I, I haven't think, but what do you, cause Calvin loves him. He's like, you got to watch him. You yeah. actually, you, you say a lot of things like he says and yeah, you know, he's there's, I don't, I don't watch all of his content cause some of it, like I went and saw him at a, uh, some sort of business event that I went to. And uh, he was speaking there and all the other speakers get up. And obviously the point of those events is they get up, they provide some value. And then at the end you, they can sell to you and you can buy from them. Right. Um, With him, he's not selling anything. So he just gets up, he does a quick little 10 minutes and he goes, look, I'm not really going to talk too much. I just want to say a couple of things and then I'm just going to open up the Q and A and he just answered questions and people just asking questions. That's That's cool. And so he was a bit different in that way. And at the end, there was no sell. It was just cool. That's, I'm just here to provide value. So that's one of the things I really like about him. Um, and that's a part of his marketing strategy is just value, 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 and don't ask for the sale as much as for as long as you can. And he, he, one of the things I heard him say is if he can, if he could never ask for the sell, that he, that's what he would do. But at some point, you know, running a business, you got to. So he creates a lot of value um, in that way. And he's just a bit different. That's one of the things I like. A lot of the questions that he answers are stuff to me that is just a no brainer. Someone's like, I want to do this in my life, but uh, my parents don't want me to do it. And he's just like, fucking do it. And they're like, oh, but my parents, like, who cares about parents? Just fucking do it. Yeah. And I'm like, to I me. I like that, this guy already. <laughs> he's really good. He's really direct. Yeah. You know why? Because that, that's what holds people back. Just yeah. shitty, non-real excuses. Like, yeah. Yeah. Who, yeah. Who cares? What are you talking about your parents for? Just yeah. go do it. Like, yeah. Or there'll be people like, oh, I'm, I'm 40 years old and I haven't figured it out yet. And he goes, what? And he goes, you got your whole life ahead of you. You know, what are you talking about? Like 40 is the new 20. What well, you-, you got a minimum another 40 years. Yeah. So fuck, you can do something. Exactly. So there's a lot of stuff like that that he says, but I hear him say it and I'm just like, yeah, that's a no brainer to me. I would say the same thing, but there's a lot of other stuff he talks about, about from a marketing perspective and the way he understands what drives markets and, and it just it blows me away. Some of the stuff yeah. that I hear and talk maybe about. Maybe I should get, maybe I should get into him. Okay. You, you've brought me to the dark side. Calvin, Calvin was doing a bad job at explaining <laughs> him to me. So you've, that, that, he, he sounds like very smart. Well, one, one of the things at the event, he he's said obviously was, done exceptionally well as well. Well, one of the things he said at the event, he's like TikTok. He goes, I don't know if it's going to be big. And this is before I'd never heard of TikTok. Literally 12 months later, TikTok's everywhere. And I'm like, this guy, he was on point with it. And he mm. just, yeah, he gets it. He's like the Simpsons, you know, in every, you know, the <laughs> Simpsons episodes, they always predict the future. Yeah. <laughs> he's the he's the real life Simpsons. Yeah, Simpsons. Nah, for sure. Um, Chris, thank you so much for today. It was a real fun conversation. Yeah, no it worries. actually went so fast. Uh, to the listeners, if you want to find out more about my friend Chris Cox, go to www.cub.club forward slash podcast and find more information there. You can get in touch with him. He's a super cool guy. Um, and like I said, I'm a big fan of the lead list uh, and taking control of your marketing. If you want to catch up with Cub on social media, it's at Club of United Business. Uh, that is also equally awesome. You'll find tons of insight into what we do as a community and get to meet some of our incredible members just like Chris. Uh, Chris, thank you so much. No worries. Thanks for having me. Hope you enjoyed the show.